0: Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. So here we are for the very first podcast from NGIS, Location Matters. And I'm here with the Executive Director of NGIS, Richard Bentley. My name's Adam Mullett, and I'm the Marketing Manager here at NGIS. How you going, Richard? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Adam. Thanks for the invitation to speak today. So what we're going to talk about in this very first podcast is location technology then, now, and into the future. So Richard Bentley, you've been around in the industry for how long? Uh, About 37 years.
1: So I started out as a cadet cartographer way back in 1981. Uh, That was quite an experience. Uh, We sat there on the first week and learned how to use a crow quill. Now, a crow quill is something you dip in Indian ink, and right with now being left-handed that was a challenge in itself uh, then we moved on to actually building maps uh, which was quite quite incredible the, the process uh, of layering the information manually on things called scribe sheets so you're actually etching the uh, tool to take the uh, the powder coating off the sheet to create a negative so you could create a printing plate from it so this was all done manually
0: wow it sounds like you've been in the trenches uh and and really done it from first principles you know obviously you know things have changed a lot since then but let's start you know let's, let's stay back f- uh when you first started i mean what, what is your experience and and how you know how, how does that affect the way that you look at mapping technology today
1: Look, I think uh, I was pretty fortunate. I I was working in the Lands Department in Hobart and we were quite advanced uh, with our use of uh, technology. So we were one of two copies of ArcInfo. Info. Uh, We shared it with the Forestry Commission. There was also one in the uh, RMS, so the uh, Roads and Maritime Services in New South Wales. So having that technology... uh, Almost spoiled us as far as advancement was concerned. We were working with the University of Tasmania on proof of concepts: uh, how to use uh, GIS or you know digitized information in a in a problem solving sense. This was way back in 1982 and 83, so it was quite advanced for the time. Um, what we did with the data was to to be able to use it in the management of cadastral information so that's the the parcel lots or the ownership boundaries of uh properties so we had to do that for the whole of tasmania
0: i mean things have changed a lot since then right we've now you talked about digitizing now everything is digital often by default you know where have where has location you know gone and or where have we come to over the last 37 years in, well, in a, business? Yeah, I suppose that's a, that's a really big question.
1: Uh, I suppose the, the thing that's most uh, noticeable is the amount of data we're collecting now and the way we're collecting it. You know, there's a lot of remotely sensed information, terabytes of information we're collecting, say, with Landsat imagery. Uh, GPS locations, every, every person's cell phone has, has GPS and they're pinging back to Google or Apple or, you know, another third party provider, even Uber now is collecting information about the, uh, the activities of, of people that have the application on their phones, uh, which, you know, some people see as quite invasive, some, uh, some people see it as uh, just adding to the, uh, the depth of the data pool that we work in now so the, the the main thing I think I see from that is the 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 amount of data that's being generated uh, is where where we store it how we, how we access it, and how often we access it.
0: Do companies struggle with big amounts of data and, and getting information out of it to make decisions?
1: Yeah, they do. I mean Google Maps has helped us uh, with the ability to be able to visualize that information uh, so Having it in a spreadsheet or having it uh, in a database is one thing, understanding it from a pictorial representation so you can understand context is a really valuable step forward for information. Uh, We're working with the AFL at the moment to try and understand Um, you know, where the take-up or membership is uh, for, you know, Masters football, for Oz kickers, uh, you know, what the demographics are, so we can start to target uh, and understand where uh, new facilities need to be built or or why people are travelling a long way to get to a particular uh, football uh, facility. So, Without that, you're just seeing them as uh, people in postcodes. So you see Joe Smith, postcode 6185, you know, David uh, Morroway, you know, 6052. We don't know that those postcodes are beside each other. Um, so putting them into a context or a contextual canvas, we like to say, uh, on a map, gives you the ability to be able to see see the data and also to see errors in the data where we might plot people... that in the ocean rather than on the land, which is obviously a, an
0: error. Obviously, humans are visual animals. Why, why is a map the best way to actually get answers out of your data? Well, it's really a pictorial
1: representation of a database. If you think about geographic information systems, um, you've got a database that sits behind the information which has a location. So you're actually seeing the database in its physical form. We use a computer to store that information, but it is originally uh, a pictorial representation uh, itself. So we're turning it into digits and making it really accessible, I suppose, to to individuals to understand. And without being a database expert, uh, you know, any person in society can look at a map and understand. You know, they're going from one place to another. It is a little bit harder to turn an iPhone on its side to understand whether you're going to turn left or right at the next intersection but people generally get the idea.
0: So what are some of the most important mapping technologies for business right now? I mean we all use maps at home, you know, we want to know where our friends live, but what what are we doing in industry?
1: I suppose um, from a state and federal level we have uh, a geodetic network. Now, a geodetic network is an accurate representation of the Earth's surface. So the more accurate we can get that, the more accurate we can get the actual location of things upon it. Um, so that's that's one of the more important things. Uh, we've got a lot more satellite technology up there at the moment. Uh, some of the newer satellites, like Skybox, which is... Uh, uh, a Google-owned subsidiary, they're at present testing uh, HD real-time video, uh, which is very, very interesting. They're also um, collecting information in real-time in a pictorial sense, so not a movie-style feed. You combine that with things like Google uh, Earth Engine, which is a raster-based, so a pixel or a picture-based system. Uh, that allows you to process a lot of information very quickly. You, we could see uh, base mapping from Google. I mean, I'm not saying that this is the case, but we could see, theoretically, uh, data you know within 12 or 24 hours old being shown on Google Maps, which would be pretty groundbreaking. Well, it incredibly groundbreaking.
0: I mean, that, that would really change the way that people could use the map. It's not something that happened three years ago. It could be something that happened three minutes ago. What are some of the applications that you can imagine where that could actually be useful? Um, well, one is uh, development, environmental monitoring,
1: uh, rehabilitation, uh, you know, physical rehabilitation for, for mine sites uh, to ensure that that work is actually done. Sometimes it's very remote uh, and you can't see, you know, people, it's very difficult for people to see those sorts of things. Um, even down to things like at a at a uh, municipal level, um, you know, where people are putting, uh, I suppose, uh, lean tos or additions to their house, uh, and uh, councils are it allows council to see whether you know they're um, whether they're actually approved or
0: not. All right. So I mean, that's some of the applications you can see so in the in the near term, and going into a bit further into the future. You know without getting too far off the roadmap i mean realistically what are some of the things that you can see happening in five years that are are now sort of you know like imagine that that'll become business as usual
1: look i think we're we're starting to see you know everybody talks about big data you know I, i i sort of say well big deal the the data's always been there we're now starting to collect and manage it a little bit more and understanding and collect it in a in a Uh, in an automated sense, you know, with apps and uh, phones, I think the next wave will come where there'll be the ability to consume that data inside other applications that have some sort of neural network or uh, artificial intelligence that will allow us to um, understand and plan, um, you know, better situations for our communities. Um, Examples would be like... Uh, we're seeing, starting to see now you get in your car and, and Google or Apple go, it's 23 minutes to work. So it, it's, it's gathering little snippets of information and making uh, judgments about what you're going to do when you get in the vehicle. Now, it tells you, you know, greatest and highway for me, I'm in Western Australia, uh, is, uh, is heavy, take an alternate route. You know, if you start to push that out to uh, things like, uh, I'm about to go to a shop, um, but they don't have what I need. Um, I've already put a list together. It's saying, okay, go to this other shop. It's it's about time-saving. It's about uh, convenience. You know, we're getting to that consumer-level uh, interaction. And the next layer on from that is, um, you know, we're starting to hear things about uh, Fitbit now integrating with your doctors so that it, it'll take your blood pressure uh, every every day. It just goes back to the... Um, to the uh, your health provider, and they can they can see and monitor your health um, just remotely as a as a value add to the service. You know, you put location, uh, you put altitude, you put um, you know the weather, those sorts of things in there as well, and you can get a very acute understanding of you know what might be happening to that individual, whether they're and now you can start to see whether they're riding, walking, jogging, they're in a car they're catching public transport you know it's m- multimodal the the information that we're starting to collect
0: and how soon before I mean those are all uh, consumer applications how soon before the, that level of personalization customization and you know accessibility comes to the workplace look I think it, well we're starting to see it now um, with
1: some of, the, some of the applications that have been built. You know, there's that crossover. And, and Google's, Google's very good at, um, you know, putting something out to the, uh, to, in the public arena. You know, they use that uh, fail fast model. Um, so if it, if it works in a public arena, then they're going to try and understand how they can commercialise that. As well, so there's a lot of organisations that are doing that. I mean, Uber at the moment, um, you know, they've ex- they've expanded from Uber uh, Transport, Uber Eats. Now we've got things like uh, Uber Donations that you can get the uh, the Red Cross to uh, people to pick up uh, pick up your uh, your unwanted clothes and things like that, or if you want to make a donation. So. It, it's it's sort of crossing over from uh, your private life to to your uh, your public life, your your work life. So, you know, it'll be just in time delivery of the things that you need when you need them. Um, but it'll be automated. It won't be you know the we're we're sitting next to some stationery. You know, when the stationery supplies get low, they'll just be reordered automatically. You know, we know what's happening. Um, location would be. Where's the nearest uh, delivery location? Where's the nearest drop-off? Uh, we're starting to see in in a in a freight sense, and Australia Post, are, uh, I suppose they're experimenting with this now. It's not really an address they're delivering to; it's a location. So the person can actually be on the move and be delivered a parcel. Um, they we now you know they can select whether it's a drop-off at a at a uh, an address, or a, a secure box location, or a Seven Eleven, or you know wherever you want to have it dropped off, they'll, they'll do that. And their application is starting to, to be more and more aware. Um, other other providers like uh, Domino's, they're they're looking at location in a different way as well. So you know you will be able to order a pizza in the park and have it delivered to you. Um, Without fear or favour, it doesn't matter where you are. If you haven't got a, a discreet address, it won't matter because you're where you are and you want things delivered to you, whether it be at work they're delivering to you or whether it's at home or out in the park or at the beach or wherever you might be. So it's less of an impact to, you, you know. Everybody's had a, a parcel delivered to home and they're not there. They get a ticket. The ticket says go to the post office. The post office only open from nine to five. They try to deliver it one more time and then it goes back to the post office and a week later you get your parcel that you wanted a week earlier. Those sort of things will be a thing of the past. They just won't happen anymore.
0: I guess we'll wrap up there. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us on our first edition of the podcast. We will be uh, releasing more of these in the future so stay tuned, check out our website. Thanks a lot, Richard. Thanks very much, Adam. A pleasure. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.